There have been so many things that have demanded our total attention in recent times. So many things that we have forgotten that there are other things that are more important in our own personal lives and in our own families than current events and even tragedies in our world, our country, and our community. We get so wrapped up in these demanding matters and these serious situations. I do not deny that they're very serious and do need some attention. But we do that, that our attention has been so drawn away from what really matters in our lives. The things over which I have control and you have control. We watch the tragic events on the news and we realize we have absolutely no control over the perpetrator of the crimes, over the events that are taking place, the horror that strikes our minds and our hearts. We have no ability to change that. But if we could get our focus back on who we are, our focus back on our families, rather than the events of this corrupt and wicked world, then we could make a difference in our home, a difference in our lives, and our family together can impact others around us and even in the community. The family in America is in trouble, and it appears that not very many are willing to do anything about it. I'm in indeed thankful for the church and other ministries and even other organizations that offer counsel to help individuals and families in their difficult times. But there are those much closer to the situations and tragedies of our own lives, and that's us. The members of the family beginning with the responsibility of the husband-father, the nurturing and loving wife-mother, and love-nurtured, obedient children. One does not have to look very far today to search very deep at all to find that the average American home is in trouble. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a doomsday preacher today. I'm not at all standing before you and saying there is no hope. I'm not at all standing here saying I don't know what in the world we're going to do. I believe God is very thorough in his word in telling us what we ought to do and what will be the results of our walk in obedience to his will. One does not have to look very far and very deep to find that the average American home, even the average Christian home, is in serious trouble. 
I do not say that lightly. I do not say that judgmentally. I say that as an observation and with a burdened and broken heart over what we see in our own communities and in sometimes in our own church. With our attention so divided by the other matters in our world, in our life, and, and things that would get us thinking on those things all of the time, the enemy has plugged away on with his timeless strategy to destroy a nation by destroying the families of a nation. In most instances, we just shrug. These are silent deaths. Only noticed by the media if a prominent figure is involved and then only in a passing comment about the big buck payoff that took place in the divorce. There are no wailing sirens. No crowds applauding the desperate attempts to save the family. In fact, those who attempt to rescue them are generally branded as meddlesome, unrealistic, right-wing, narrow-minded, Bible-thumping, fundamentalist pro-lifers. Amen. That's what I am. I don't want to be a meddler, but I am someone who cares. I do care about families. I do care about children. I do care about unborn babies, and I do not apologize for that. An unborn baby is a precious creation of God that is to be protected and brought into this world safely and reared and raised as they ought to have that opportunity. And upon that rock I stand, as Vance Havner used to say. It's not very popular to say those kind of things, but it's the truth. Oh, there's rubble, all right, more than just what we see in the world events, but we've learned to live with it rather than to dig out from it and rebuild on God's principles. God never expects us to just live with the difficulties or the problems that we have in our families. He expects us to turn to him, to seek his help, to seek counsel of more mature godly Christians and to get the help that we need that we can come through those things as learning experiences and character-building experiences and family-strengthening experiences rather than the experiences that would destroy our lives, our families, and our children. We need to be fighters for what's right. We need to be prepared to do what's right. We need to be influencers as fathers and as mothers over our children rather than turning them over to an ungodly world to raise them and teach them the things that they say is right. I'm telling you, we need to instill in our children the truths of God's Word, the truths of what He wants to do in their lives and what He requires of them, the truths of His love and His workings in our lives and His desire to bless us 
and to give us strength and to give us things we stand in need of and to give us wonderful, glorious lives. That's the will of our Heavenly Father. But he calls upon us to follow that will, to seek that will, to turn to him, to give him our lives, to give him our families, to give him our children, to give him all that we are, that he might do a work in our life and the life of our families so that God can be glorified and our, our families, our lives will be glorious experiences as we live together. In Genesis chapter 2, Verses 18 through 25, way back in the Scripture, God said this from the beginning, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should live alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them and whatever Adam called each living creature that was its name so Adam gave names to all the cattle to all the birds of the air to every beast of the field but for Adam there was not found a helper or mate comparable to himself and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which God, the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe man because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. God said he has a plan for his creation. God has a plan for every man and every woman. I know there are those that go through life and never find that made. I understand that. And I certainly would not say you've missed God's purpose. But in general, God made man and woman, male and female, for them to find each other, fall in love, be committed together in marriage, and to have a home. So, even before sin entered into the heart of man, the family was there. The union of male and female was the design of God. I always begin every wedding ceremony with that truth. God designed his creation, mankind, man and woman, husband and wife, male and female to be joined together and never any other way. That is the purpose of God. Marriage was and is Satan's primary focus in his attack on man. He came between the husband and wife, causing strife and division of that very first couple. Man's fall took place within the context of the family. 
He caused separation between Eve and Adam because of the serpent, Satan himself, thus dividing the family. That has always been his goal. And you need to remember that as you live your life as husband and wife and as a family with children, and, and as your children get married and, and they have a husband or a wife and, and, and they have children, you need to remember that God has said that that is his purpose, that is his design, that God loves men so much that he put them together as male and female and is in that they're to find fulfillment, they're to find happiness and joy and to find the will of God in serving one another, loving one another, caring about one another. It was the first family where sin was introduced. It was the first family that jealousy was introduced between the two boys. It was in the first family that hatred was introduced by Satan. It was in the first family that even murder was introduced to the human race. You see, the attack has always been on the family. God wants the family to be a place of wholesome behavior and love and care. And yet the tempter, the destroyer of the family, tries to enter into that relationship and enter into a home and cause confusion and division and even malice. And sometimes bitterness and hatred comes. And it's introduced by the one who has hated God and his creation from the very beginning. And his desire is to destroy every man, every woman, every child, every family is to be destroyed is his design. But God's design, at the two, as the two become one in him, that they grow, that they mature, that their love grows stronger, that the family becomes protected, that the husband is what he ought to be, the wife is what she ought to be, the children become what they ought to be. And in all of those things together, God is glorified, the family is blessed, and they're gloriously happy in the Lord Jesus. But yet we venture from that. We think we have a better way. But very quickly this morning, I want to tell you some things. First of all, God has a sovereign purpose for the family. Maybe I should say sovereign purposes for the family. The physical purpose of the family is obvious. The two shall become one flesh. Husband and wife are, delight in one, are to delight in one another in a physical way. And that's God's plan. 1 Corinthians 7, 4 through 5 says that husbands and wives are not to deprive one another from being together and showing affection and love and intimacy. And they should carry on with that. Much of adultery and fornication and failures and causing divorce comes from the lack of the two determined that they will keep that alive in their lives of affection and care and loving on one another, and they're just two people who live together. And when that happens, problems can creep in, 
and difficulties can come. And then that not only affects the married couple, it affects the offspring, the children, and the children's children, and on and on. It has a, 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 an effect that goes on, a dominoes effect that goes on and on. And so God instructs us that he has a sovereign purpose for the family. There's a social purpose for the family. Genesis 1-2 says that God blesses marriage and gives Adam and Eve a command to populate and have dominion over the earth. A social purpose to grow people, to grow a community, and it starts with a family. Genesis 2.23 says he commands the marriage to be self-supporting. A man shall leave his mother and father and shall stay with his wife. You know what? I'm so thankful that my children have understood that from the beginning. When they got married, whether it's Michael taking his bride to be his wife, Nicole, or if it's uh, Amy going with Keith or married to Keith or Heather married to Patrick, they know that they have an individual home of their own. They know that the husband has responsibilities, the wife has responsibilities, and they have responsibilities over their children. And I'm thankful for that. Melly and I have never lorded over our children on what they ought to do in their marriages or in their home. That's just not God's way. A man shall leave his mother and father. And listen, if you're a mother-in-law that's always getting in the business of your son or your daughter's fa family and their affairs, you need to back out. You just need to back out and shut up. If they come to you with problems and they have things they want to talk to you about, by all means share with them. By all means take your experiences and, and the Word of God and help them understand what God has taught you and what you've learned through your failures and your mistakes. But don't look at their mistakes and tell them what they need to do. You're just interfering with a marriage that God has put together with a husband and a wife, and the two become one flesh in Christ Jesus. I don't know who needed that, but somebody must have. God said it's not good for a man to be alone. God is seldom consulted in courtship and marriage. Most couples court and marry based on the physical. And when the physical fizzles, so does the marriage. That's the reason I don't do very many weddings anymore because I'm too old to do premarital counseling. I don't even remember what it was like to be unmarried. <laughs> but uh, I've always required that a couple get premarital counseling. I've done it myself through the years. But I tell them, you think you know all about it. But you're going to find about five days after your marriage, you don't know anything about it. And you think you know all about what you're going to do in the future and how you're going to raise your children. But when that first child comes along, I'm telling you what, it's like a stick of dynamite blowing all those ideas out of the water. Every one of them's different. Everyone has to be treated different. They all have different needs. And there again, it's for the mother and the father to learn. Seek counsel, yes. 
Seek godly counsel by all means, but to learn together. There are three vital principles for a strong family. You say, why would you pick Father's Day to do this? You know, the preacher can blame it on God. <laughs> I guess God. But I just felt strongly led to say these things today. God is seldom consulted in those things, as I said. But the principle of authority is, is the first thing. The principle of authority. A home must be governed and regulated by authority. And it's not this. Well, I'm the head of this home. You know who's the head of your home. It best be God. It best be the Lord Jesus Christ. The home is to be governed and regulated by the Scriptures, not by what you think. Because you have a human mind. You want your home to be led by the all-powerful, all-knowledgeable, all-wise mind of a holy God who has given us how we ought to thus live. Authority and discipline must be administered in a way that love is always demonstrated because a home is supposed to, place, supposed to be a place of love and affection and warmth. Christ must be Lord over the home and be the center for that home to stand strong. Is that the way it is in your house? Is the scripture the authority? Is that what reigns in your home? Is that what you teach your children? Is that what you pray together as a family about? The principle of the authority of the Word of God. I said the principle of affection, but also the principle of admonition. This means to caution, counsel, rebuke with mildness, and to inform by warning. The only way to meet this criteria is for the family to be admonished and guided by the Word of God. Let me just stop there. How important is the Word of God in your home? How important is what God has to say about the family and your responsibility and your privileges in the family? How important is that to you? It ought to be all important. And you need to seek Him and what He says in His Word in order to be the kind of father and the kind of mother that God wants you to be. For you see, God has a purpose in this, and I, I, I finish with this. He has a purpose, a saving pattern in the family. A saving pattern. The count of creation is the woman of the woman is more than just a beautiful story. Adam is put to sleep. And from his side is taken a rib, a bloody rib, and the woman is created from that rib. I, you know, as I read that a few minutes ago, it came more alive than it ever has to me as I read that scripture. 
I knew God took a rib from the side of man and he made a woman, but it says he formed her from that rib. I didn't say that God did. And understand, he has made you in a wonderful way. And, and it, look at the plan that he has here. He didn't make her from his feet where Adam would trample on her. He didn't make her from a part of her, his skull so that she could lord over him. But God took a rib out of his side so that she is equal to him. He took a rib from his side, from under his arm, where she would always be protected by him and from near his heart so that everything he should do with her and for her should be out of a heart of love. God, in his wonderful plan, shows in the creation of the family, the very first family, the husband is made, and then the wife is made, and the children come as God commands them to produce those children, and God shows his wonderful plan for creation, his wonderful plan of redemption. From the side, he took the woman. You can see in the redemptive work of Jesus for his bride, the church, that he gave himself. And his side was pierced, and his life's fluids and blood flowed. He was nailed to the cross, and he did it to purchase his bride, the church. And Ephesians 5 tells us about that relationship that Christ has with his church and how that ought to overflow into our marriages and our homes, that we're to love one another, respect one another, that we're to give ourselves away to each other, that we're providing for each other, that we're caring for each other. That's the way the home ought to be. It ought to be a place where every child, where every member of that family wants to run home every time that they can get there. Daddy, husband, ought to want to come home from work as soon as he get there. Mama wants to get home. They want to have a family time. Why? That's where they find the, the moving of God's Holy Spirit and his love for them. And they demonstrate God's plan of redemption because by far the greatest number of people who come into the family of God come in because of the family. A mom and daddy that lived righteously before them. A mother and father who cared about them and took them to the house of God, read the scripture together and told them their own testimony. I shall never forget the day my dad took me off by myself and sat me up on the front of that old Chevrolet car. And he began to tell me about what a sorry individual he said he was. How he was drinking, how he was having all kinds of problems and had to go even into an institute for some help. And he told me that's where we used to live in that old block building over there. Concrete floors, kerosene heater. He said that's all we could afford and I was working as a curb hop trying to make a living. He said, but two preachers came by, and they told me about Jesus. 
They sat on that little front porch there, just big enough for three chairs, and they sat there and they told me about Jesus. And Ricky, I gave my heart to Jesus, and he changed everything. And because of Jesus, we don't live in that block apartment anymore. Because of Jesus, your daddy doesn't drink anymore. Because of Jesus, I have a good job. Because of Jesus, we have a good home. Because of Jesus, he's changed everything about me and about my family. God arrested my attention as a 12-year-old boy. I remembered living there. I remember the years of being there and mother crying, even as a little boy. I remember the difficulty of those days. And my dad said, thanks to Jesus, we don't live there anymore. I believe Bill Gaither wrote the song and big old singer used to be on Jerry Falwell's program when he had his church live on TV, Doug Oldham. Used to sing that song, Thanks to Jesus, I don't go there anymore. Thanks to Jesus, we don't live there anymore. Son, you have a Brand new daddy, thanks to Jesus. Let me ask you something, daddy. Could you take your son out this afternoon? Could you take your daughter off, sit down in a swing with her this afternoon? She may be 60 years old. She may be 35. She could be 16. Could you take her off this afternoon and sit down with her and say, Honey, thanks to Jesus, you have a daddy who cares. You have a daddy who loves you and a daddy who provides for you. A daddy who wants the very best for you. And the very best for you is Jesus. You can trust him. Thanks to Jesus. You know, we spend a lot of our time strutting about who we are. I'm the head of this house. I've done this, I've done that. What God's looking for is a meek and humble, loving, caring father for your children to let them know Jesus is everything. Set an example. Care for them even when they don't do what you think is right. Care for them even when they do what you know is wrong. 
love them, nurture them, even if they're in their 40s, you still care for them. Be an example. And encourage them to live as God would have them to live. And they'll find joy, peace. And God will bless them too. Would you do that? Would you be that kind of a daddy? I pray you will. Father, thank you for our time of worship together today. Thank you for uh, the Oates Precious family, Lord. I just, I just love them and admire them. I, I thank you for little Jesse and for them bringing him to be dedicated today. What a joy that is for this church to be a part of such a service. But Lord, there's so much strife and division and problems in the world in which we live. Help us to recognize that our strength is not drawn from the world and the matters of the world and the, all of the news of the world. Our strength is drawn from a relationship with you. And help us to walk in that, to love others in that, and to be an example to our homes and then to our neighborhood and to our community. Bless these daddies, these mamas, and these babies, in Jesus' name, amen.